Deadlines. The practice of limiting the time available to the states to ratify proposed amendments began in 1917 with the 18th Amendment. All amendments proposed since then, with the exception of the 19th Amendment and the, still pending, Child Labor Amendment, have included a deadline, either in the body of the proposed amendment, or in the joint resolution transmitting it to the states. The ratification deadline clock begins running on the day final action is completed in Congress. An amendment may be ratified at any time after final congressional action, even if the states have not yet been officially notified. In Dillon v. Gloss, 1921, the Supreme Court upheld Congress's power to prescribe time limitations for state ratifications and intimated that clearly out-of-date proposals were no longer open for ratification. Granting that it found nothing express in Article 5 relating to time constraints, the court yet allowed that it found intimated in the amending process a strongly suggest argument that proposed amendments are not open to ratification for all time or by states acting at widely separate times. The court subsequently, in Coleman v. Miller, 1939, modified its opinion considerably. In that case, related to the proposed child labor amendment, it held that the question of timeliness of ratification is a political and non-justiciable one, leaving the issue to Congress's discretion. It would appear that the length of time elapsing between proposal and ratification is irrelevant to the validity of the amendment. Based upon this precedent, the Archivist of the United States proclaimed the 27th Amendment as having been ratified when it surpassed the three-fourths of the several states' plateau for becoming a part of the Constitution. Declared ratified on May 7, 1992, it had been submitted to the states for ratification, without a ratification deadline, on September 25, 1789, an unprecedented time period of 202 years, 7 months and 12 days. Extensions. Whether once it has prescribed a ratification period Congress may extend the period without necessitating action by already ratified states embroiled Congress, the states, and the courts in argument with respect to the proposed Equal Rights Amendment, sent to the states on March 22, 1972, with a seven-year ratification time limit attached. In 1978 Congress, by simple majority vote in both houses, extended the original deadline by three years, three months and eight days, through June 30, 1982. The amendment's proponents argued that the fixing of a time limit and the extending of it were powers committed exclusively to Congress under the political question doctrine and that in any event Congress had power to extend. It was argued that inasmuch as the fixing of a reasonable time was within Congress' power and that Congress could fix the time either in advance or at some later point, based upon its evaluation of the social and other bases of the necessities of the amendment, Congress did not do violence to the Constitution when, once having fixed the time, it subsequently extended the time. Proponents recognized that if the time limit was fixed in the text of the amendment Congress could not alter it because the time limit as well as the substantive provisions of the proposal had been subject to ratification by a number of states, making it unalterable by Congress except through the amending process again. Opponents argued that Congress, having by a two-thirds vote sent the amendment and its authorizing resolution to the states, had put the matter beyond changing by passage of a simple resolution, that states had either acted upon the entire package or at least that they had or could have acted affirmatively upon the promise of Congress that if the amendment had not been ratified within the prescribed period it would expire and their assent would not be compelled for longer than they had intended. In 1981, the United States District Court for the District of Idaho, however, found that Congress did not have the authority to extend the deadline, even when only contained within the proposing joint resolution resolving clause. The Supreme Court had decided to take up the case, bypassing the Court of Appeals, but before they could hear the case, the extended period granted by Congress had been exhausted without the necessary number of states, thus rendering the case moot. Constitutional clauses shielded from amendment. 
Article 5 also contains two statements that shield the subject matter of certain constitutional clauses from being amended. The first of the two is obsolete due to an attached sunset provision. Absolutely not amendable until 1808 were, Article 1, Section 9, Clause 1, which prevented Congress from passing any law that would restrict the importation of slaves prior to 1808, and Article 1, Section 9, Clause 4, a declaration that direct taxes must be apportioned according to state populations, as described in Article 1, Section 2, Clause 3. The second prohibition was not given an expiration date and remains in effect. It expressly provides that no amendment shall deprive a state of its equal suffrage, representation, in the Senate, as described in Article 1, Section 3, Clause 1, without that state's consent. Designed to seal two compromises reached between delegates to the Constitutional Convention after contentious debates, these are the only explicitly entrenched provisions of the Constitution. The guarantee of equal suffrage in the Senate is arguably subject to being amended through the procedures outlined within the article. Mater holds that the shielding provision can be amended because it is not self-entrenched, meaning that it does not contain a provision preventing its own amendment. Thus, under Mater's argument, a two-step amendment process could repeal the provision that prevents the equal suffrage provision from being amended, and then repeal the equal suffrage provision itself. Mater contrasts the provision preventing the modification of the equal suffrage clause with the unratified Corwin Amendment, which contains a self-entrenching, unamendable provision. Law professor Richard Albert also holds that the equal suffrage provision could be amended through a double amendment process, contrasting the U.S. Constitution with other constitutions that explicitly protect certain provisions from ever being amended and are themselves protected from being amended. Another legal scholar, Aki Lamar, argues that the equal suffrage provision could be amended through a two-step process, but describes that process as a sly scheme. Exclusive means for amending the Constitution. According to constitutional theorist and scholar Lawrence G. Sager, some commentators have seriously questioned whether Article 5 is the exclusive means of amending the Constitution, or whether there are routes to amendment, including some routes in which the Constitution could be unconsciously or unwittingly amended in a period of sustained political activity on the part of a mobilized national constituency. For example, Akhil Lamar rejects the notion that Article 5 excludes other modes of constitutional change, arguing instead that the procedure provided for in Article 5 is simply the exclusive method the government may use to amend the Constitution. He asserts that Article 5 nowhere prevents the people themselves, acting apart from ordinary government, from exercising their legal right to alter or abolish government via the proper legal procedures. Other scholars disagree. Some argue that the Constitution itself provides no mechanism for the American people to adopt constitutional amendments independently of Article 5. Darren Patrick Guerra has argued that Article 5 is a vital part of the American constitutional tradition and he defends Article 5 against modern critiques that Article 5 is either too difficult, too undemocratic, or too formal. Instead he argues that Article 5 provides a clear and stable way of amending the document that is explicit, authentic, and the exclusive means of amendment it promotes wisdom and justice through enhancing deliberation and prudence, and its process complements federalism and the separation of powers that are key features of the Constitution. He argues that Article 5 remains the most clear and powerful way to register the sovereign desires of the American public with regard to alterations of their fundamental law. In the end, Article 5 is an essential bulwark to maintaining a written Constitution that secures the rights of the people against both elites and themselves. The view that the Article 5 amendment process is the only legitimate vehicle for bringing about constitutional change, is, as pointed out by constitutional law scholar Joel K. Goldstein, challenged by numerous widely accepted judicial decisions that have introduced new meaning into constitutional language by departing from original intentions, expectations, or meaning. 
He also points out how constitutional institutions have, independent of both judicial activity and alterations affected through the Article 5 process, evolved to take forms inconsistent with what the founders imagined or the language they wrote suggested. In his farewell address, President George Washington said, If in the opinion of the people the distribution or modification of the constitutional powers be in any particular wrong, let it be corrected by an amendment in the way which the Constitution designates. But let there be no change by usurpation. For though this, in one instance, may be the instrument of good, it is the customary weapon by which free governments are destroyed. The precedent must always greatly overbalance in permanent evil any partial or transient benefit which the use can at any time yield. This statement by Washington has become controversial, and scholars disagree about whether it still describes the proper constitutional order in the United States. Scholars who dismiss Washington's position often argue that the Constitution itself was adopted without following the procedures in the Articles of Confederation, while constitutional attorney Michael Ferris disagrees, saying the convention was a product of the state's residual power, and the amendment and adoption process was legal, having received the unanimous assent of the state's legislatures. Amending Article 5 Article 5 lays out the procedures for amending the Constitution but does not explicitly state whether those procedures apply to Article 5 itself. According to law professor George Mader, there have been numerous proposals to amend the Constitution's amending procedures, and it is generally accepted that constitutional amending provisions can be used to amend themselves. Even so, Article 5 has never been amended. The text of this podcast is sourced from the Wikipedia Foundation under a Creative Commons attribution, share alike license. The written text has been altered for voice presentation. To view the modified and original text versions visit thelegalpages.com. The content of this podcast is presented for informational purposes only, and is not intended to be legal or professional advice. The Wikipedia Foundation is not affiliated with this podcast.